Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Pastor David with We Are Church. I want to thank you for taking the time to tune into this podcast. Here at We Are Church, our mission is to be a place where people come to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. One of the ways that we do that is through the reading and teaching of the Word of God. So I pray that this challenges you to take your faith to the next level and that you find freedom in every area that you are seeking. Enjoy the message. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter four. Verse, we're going to be going over verses seven through 12 today. Seven through 12. Ephesians chapter four, verses seven through 12. We are now nine weeks into the book of Ephesians. I think nine weeks. If it ain't nine weeks, it's 10 weeks for sure. But we have spent some time in the book of Ephesians, just really digging deep into the book of Ephesians. Um, and we talked about it before, right? That, that the book of Ephesians can be divided into two parts. The first three chapters being, it's, the book of Ephesians is six chapters. The first three, three chapters being the wealth of the believer. The second three chapters uh, being the walk of the believer. We're going to actually divide that up into three different parts. We're going to talk about the wealth of the believer, the walk of the believer, and the warfare of the believer. And so the last, not last Tuesday, but the Tuesday before that, was it the Tuesday before that? Maybe it was like two or three Tuesdays. We had connect group and then like a prayer night or something. But the last time we jumped into Ephesians chapter four, we only talked about one verse about how we are called by God. And so this week I want to talk uh, really a little bit more in depth about what that looks like. And so Ephesians chapter four, verse seven says this, says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself, what in the world? (laughs) He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. And he gave as some... He gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. And so today we're going to dig deep into a topic that I'm super excited about. We're going to talk about the fivefold ministry today. Yeah. Sound like might have some some evangelists and prophets and pastors and teachers out there. (laughs) We're going to talk about the, the, the fivefold ministry today. And I'm going to make three simple points. My first point is this. God gave each one of us a special ability to do his work. God gave each one of us a special ability to do his work. Verse 7 says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. If you remember early in our study of Ephesians, we talked about the four types of grace that are given to us, right? There's common grace. Common grace is is, is where the believer and is, is the type of grace that the believer and the unbeliever experiences as well, right? So common grace is when God promised that after he flooded the earth that he would no longer flood the whole entire earth and destroy the earth, both the believer and the unbeliever get to experience the common grace of God of his wrath not being poured into the world and destroying it. This is a common grace that the believer and the unbeliever get to experience. Secondly, we talked about saving grace, right? 
that this is where God's saving grace came, came to save us from the penalty of our sins, came to save us from the bondage of sin, save us from ourselves. This is the saving grace of God. Third, we talked about the exalted, the, the exalting grace of God, that not only did he save us, not only do, do we escape the penalty of sin, but he doesn't just leave us where we are, right? That he seats us in heavenly places, right? He said he seats us in, in heavenly places with Christ. And since Christ is seated at the, at the right hand of the Father, we are seated in heaven. This is Christ exalting us and elevating us and picking us up out of our mess and, and seating us in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. The exalting grace of God. And fourth, we talked about the enabling grace of God. This is the power to do or the special ability to do the works of God. He says this, Paul says this in Ephesians chapter two, verses eight through 10. He says, for, for by grace, you have been saved through faith and, not that, and, and, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not as a result of work so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So you see this, he says, for by grace, you have been saved. So you're not saved by works, right? But you are saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus, right? But you are also created in Christ Jesus for good works. So we're saved by grace through faith for works. Y'all get that? That we're not saved by works, but we're saved by grace through faith for works that there is good works that God has planned beforehand. This is not just good works, this is, this is God works, right? That, that even, even an, an unbeliever or an atheist can do good works, right? But these are God works that he has prepared beforehand for each and every one of us. And he says this, he says, for by grace you have been saved. So when he says, but to each one of us, grace was given, this is that special ability to do the works that God planned beforehand for our lives. Y'all get that, right? So each one of us have been given a special ability to do the works that God has planned before us. But he also says this. He says, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Can everybody understand that every, every one of us have been given a different measure of gifts, right? To each person, God has given a different measure of, 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 of ability to do specific works, right? Right? I don't have the same measure and anointing and worship as Omega does. If y'all were to hear me sing in, in that area, y'all would probably hit the doors, right? But Omega probably couldn't come up here and grab a mic and preach and communicate the word and break it down. Maybe she can. I don't know. She might have some hidden talents, right? Right. But God has given us different measures in different areas with that special ability to do the works that he planned for us long ago. It's important that we know what those works are. Right. Because if not, we'll spend our lives trying to some of y'all will look at the, the pastor on the platform and want the gift that I have and not recognize the gift that, that you have. And you might step and try to preach the gospel and be something that you're not gifted and you don't have the measure of that special ability to do that I have. But you got to take the time to, to understand and, and dig deep to find out what is it that God has called me to do, right? Matthew chapter 25, we see this in, in, the, in the, this concept in the parable of the talents. Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 and 15, Jesus says this, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. And this is Jesus. He's, he's, he's came once, but he will return again. This is what he's talking about. He said, he called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. You see it, right? I know it's, we, we, we as parents sometimes want to 
make sure we give every kid the same amount of everything. We want to be equally fair with our kids. But this isn't how God is. God gives, gives us, us different measures to different people according to their abilities. He knows what we're capable of, 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 of uh, managing right now, right? But we can all increase. We can increase. So if, I, if God has gifted me and given me a certain measure of leadership, he knows once he trusts me in that leadership and I have increased my capacity for him to pour more leadership anointing on my life, he can trust me with more people and more people and more people. Y'all get the process of how this goes, right? So Ephesians chapter four, verses eight through 10, let's jump back in. It says, therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that, it, that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might feel all things. That can kind of read in there. You got to read that two or three times, highlighted and, and ascended and descended in different colors so you don't mix that up. But let me, let me break this down for you right here. First of all, this is, this is a scripture where a lot of people have pulled all kinds of different things that they think that this, that this scripture is about. Um, some, of the, some people believe that from this scripture, when it talks about how he descended into the lower parts of the earth, that is talking about Jesus after he was buried in the tomb, that Jesus spent three days in hell suffering for the sins of man and that he ascended out of hell and that, that, that they, they have taken this scripture and, and gotten that from it. But, but I want to kind of break down where the whole theological picture that Paul is trying to paint here, right? So Paul right here, he's actually quoting when he says, therefore it says, that means he's about to quote a scripture that already existed, right? And so the scripture that Paul is quoting here comes out of Psalm, Psalms chapter 68 and it's actually verse 18 that Paul is quoting here. So Paul wrote this Psalm and it was a Psalm of victory that he was just, just declaring the victory of God. And it's a Psalm that, that he wrote when they had finally captured the Ark of, uh, of the Covenant, got taken back the Ark of the Covenant from the Philistines. They had been out to battle and war for so long and they had finally overcome them. And, and now they're on their way back to Jerusalem and they have plundered the enemy's camp and they got all of these gifts. And, and, and David comes back into the city rejoicing and he's dancing and he's, he's singing and they're worshiping and they're praising and they got the Ark of the Covenant. It's finally coming back into, into Jerusalem, right? And so when Paul is quoting this, he's trying to, to paint this picture for us. See, Israel had been at war for a long time and God went before them and they had finally found victory in, in this war, right? And when they won the battle, David sent his men into the camp of the enemy and they, they, they took all of the different spoils, the, the, the golds, the, the, the metals. They took all of these different treasures from them and they came back to the city and David, uh, um, wanting to, to worship God and praise God and, and celebrate, he took all of these gifts and he just distributed these gifts to men, right? He took these gifts and he just distributed them to, to, to men to celebrate what, what God has done. So the theological picture here is that, is that when he talks about um, when he ascended on high, he led a captive, uh, captive, a host of captives, and he gave, he gave gifts to men. He's quoting this scripture right here in Psalm 68 because he knows his audience is going to be familiar with the scripture that, he is, that he's quoting. And so the theological picture here is that Christ goes before us. Right. And he destroys the works of the enemy. Right. And not only did he do that, but he he's 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 giving us ultimate victory. And in the same way, David gave gifts to men when he returned is the same way that Christ is giving us gifts after he has went into the enemy's camp, destroyed the enemy, took the spoils of the enemy and now distributes gifts to men. This is what Paul is 
is the picture that Paul is trying to paint for us here. And he says this, now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might feel all things. We got to be careful when we come to scriptures like this. We got to really learn to study the word for ourselves, right? The Bible says to study, to show yourself approved, right? Because if not, we'll just take what people have told us for years and years and years. And simply because somebody told us that off of one scripture in the Bible, we just take these, get these whole theological doctrines that we, that we form our minds around, right? So, so I, I'm, I'm careful about what I teach simply because it's been taught to me. I don't just teach something that has been taught to me, but I'm wanting to study the word because I want to uh, I give an account to God for the way I teach the word and how I break down the word, right? And so what I can't wrap my mind around, I'm not going to act like I have an answer to. If you ask me for something in the Bible to, to break something down that I don't know, I'm going to tell you, hey, I can't explain it. I just don't know it, wh what that means. But, but what, what, what he's saying here right here, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? So when this scripture, when it's talking about the, the lower parts of the earth, we live here in the lower parts of the earth. This is where we live, the lower parts of the earth. It's not talking about Sheol or the, the abyss or in, into hell. This is not what he's talking about. He said, he who descended himself also is he who ascended far above the heavens so that he feels all things. We know that Christ came down here the, as, as, as the Messiah, right? That he descended from heaven dwelled among us here on earth, and then he ascended afterwards, right? This is all we can get from this. It's a really simple, simple text that, 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 that we're reading here. He ascended above the heavens. Why? So that he might fill all things with himself. And so my, my second main point is this, is God gave us leaders to equip us to do his work. God gave us leaders to equip us to do his work. When he says he gave gifts to men, this is Christ's gift to you. Christ's gift to you is the five-fold ministry. So God gave us, God, he gave gifts to men. Uh, Ephesians 4 verses 11 through 12 says this, and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. It's the five-fold ministry that we're reading right here, right? So I want to say just a few things about the fivefold ministry before we break it down. Each one, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Um, first off, these are not titles. They are offices. These are not titles. When you hear the word uh, uh, apostle, prophet, pastor, evangelist, teacher, you hear any of these. It's not just a title that is given to a man, but this is, this is a mantle that God gives you to take on. This is an office. This is a lifelong call that we're, that we're hearing and that, that we're reading here in the word. A lot of people want titles. They, 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 they love the title pastor. They love the title apostle. They love to have these titles and just loosely throw these, I'm an evangelist, I'm this, I'm that, just simply for the titles. But it is not a title. It is an office. and It is a mantle by God. Second, they all serve the same purpose. Every single title here, they might function differently and in different gifts to it, but they are all to accomplish the same exact purpose, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, right? An apostle's job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry and the building up of the body of Christ. The pastor's job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry and the building up the body of Christ, the, the prophet, and so on, and so on, and so on. Um, third, some people operate in more than one office, right? 
So me, for instance, I'm a pastor, but I also operate as a teacher, right? And sometimes I have the gift, I have the gift of communication. I have, the, I have the gift of preaching, the gift of teaching. And sometimes by God, will, the spirit of prophecy will come on me. It doesn't mean I'm, I take the office of a prophet, but I can operate in prophecy because the, the spirit of prophecy can come upon me. Y'all have seen me. Sometimes I'll be up here and I'll, I'll do an altar call and all of a sudden God will start giving me words of knowledge over somebody or words of wisdom to speak to somebody or he'll reveal something to me. And, and this is the spirit of prophecy, but it's not the office of a prophet. Um, fourth, all five of these offices are active today and are vital for, for building up the body of Christ today. A lot of people don't believe that the fivefold ministry is still active and alive today. A lot of people don't believe that uh, uh, apostles still exist today. And I think simply because a lot of people don't really truly understand what an apostle is. A lot of people don't believe that prophets still walk the earth and live today. But I think again, a lot of people don't really understand what a prophet is. Um, and, and a lot of people think that when the apostles died, when the early, the first apostles died, that these gifts, that these gifts no, no, cease to exist. And now we only have the church, but we don't have the fivefold ministry. Um, and so a lot of people believe that, but these are, these are active and they are vital for building up the body of a Christ. They are just as important today as they were 2000 years ago when the church first started. They are just as important. Um, fifth, I think that was one, two, three, four, five. Yeah. Fifth, these are Christ's gift to you. They are his gifts to you. And without them, you cannot be fully equipped for the work of ministry. Let me say that again. This is Christ's gift to you. When, 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 when Jesus ascended, he gave gifts to men. And those gifts to you were the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, right? Like we got to understand that because a lot of us don't, we, we can't grasp this concept of somehow having spiritual leaders in our lives or spiritual voices in our lives. But we, when we remove ourselves outside of authority, we are, we're, 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 we are, we're, not, we're not fully equipped for the work that God calls us to do, right? If he says, this is his gift to you, like this is news to y'all for real. I am Christ's gift to you. <laughs> but seriously, right? Every pastor should have a pastor. I have a pastor. That is, that is God's gift to me. I don't look at my pastor as somebody who just makes me feel horrible when he challenges me or he corrects me. I know 110% in my heart that that is God's gift to me. And I treat him as so. You are God's gift to my life to, to guide me and direct me. And I trust the Lord to give my pastor wisdom over me to, to, to help me function and be fully equipped for the work of a pastor that he has called me to be. And so I want to take the time to just kind of break these down a little bit. Um, the first is apostles. Apostles is the first gift that we see uh, mentioned in Ephesians chapter four. Apostles. Uh, the word apostles comes from the Greek word apostolos. It means one sent forth with authority. One sent forth with authority. This was actually a military term that was used to describe an ambassador that was sent forth by a king with the same authority that the king, the, the king would send a man in his authority, an ambassador. This is the word apostolos that we're reading in, in the Greek word. And so an apostle is a person who is sent forth with authority to accomplish a certain mission or a certain work. And so when we read about apostles, this is a man who is sent forth with, with the authority of 
of God, by God, to accomplish a certain work or, or, or to start a certain ministry or build up a certain ministry. Here's a couple of different things about apostles. Number one, the apostle is anointed to build and establish churches and ministries as well as help equip Christians spiritually to accomplish the will of God for their lives. Apostle is anointed to build and establish churches and ministries as well as help equip Christians spiritually to accomplish the will of God for their life. I would say there's more apostles than, 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 than people actually realize there, there are. Some people don't even know that they're, that they're apostles because they just don't have the title on them, but they're operating in the office of an, of an apostle. You can recognize an apostle because an apostle can come in with a strong anointing for leadership, right? And they establish and build churches and ministries and raise up leaders and then oversee their leaders who oversee leaders who oversee leaders. Apostles, we have a lot of apostles in the church. They just don't walk around with the title of an apostle. Second, apostles have strong leadership qualities and giftings. They don't just reach people, they build people. Apostles don't just reach, they don't just go around just flaunting their authority, but they are, they are expert builders of people. You get this, right? When you read about the early apostles in the early church, what did they do? They went to regions where nobody was at. They established uh, ministries and churches and built up people and established pastors and leaders there to care for the church and then went and established more and established more and they, they were overseers of other leaders. Apostles carry a strong anointing and, a, and authority for spiritual warfare. An apostle carries a strong anointing for and authority for spiritual warfare. Why? Because apostles will go, go places where people won't normally go. They are equipped and ready. And there's just this, this warfare. You can recognize an apostolic anointing on somebody. Sometimes you'll hear somebody get up here and preach and there'll be just this real soft, sweet anointing. That's not, that's not an apostolic anointing, but you'll have somebody come up here and it's like a punch when they preach. It's just like just kicks the devil's teeth in every time they preach. That's an apostolic anointing that is on because they were made for warfare. That's the anointing of God on their life. They are there to establish the kingdom of God and tear down the kingdom of darkness. And they're so attractive to other people that are built for that, that they just, they make churches that just grow in warfare and they grow in spiritual giftings and they grow in spiritual health. Apostolic anointing is very easy to recognize on somebody. It's not something that you can just, it's that thing when people walk into the room where you're like, man, that dude is just a spiritual boss. You know what I mean? <laughs> Fourth, apostles are responsible for establishing, protecting, and overseeing ministries. They're responsible for establishing, protecting, and overseeing ministries. Their heart is not just to is, is not just to, 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 to be seen, but they know deep down the same way as God has gifted me and given me a pastor's heart and I care deeply about people. This is how uh, apostles feel, not only just about people, but they feel about, about ministries as a whole and organizations as a whole, like we would call them organizations, but, but ministries as a whole, they're, they, they're, they're responsible for establishing, protecting, and overseeing ministries. The second gift that was given to men is the gift of a prophet, the office of a prophet. A prophet is one who sees and knows things supernaturally by the spirit of God, one who is sent forth with and by the word of the Lord. Let me say that one more time for those of y'all who are taking notes. A prophet is one who sees and knows things supernaturally by the spirit of God, one who is sent forth with and by the word of the Lord. I said it earlier. 
the gift of prophecy and the office of, of, of a prophet are not the same thing, right? Um, many of us as saints can operate in the gift of prophecy, right? When the spirit, when the spirit of prophecy comes upon you, when the spirit of the Lord speaks, that's, that's, that's prophetic, right? Or you may be given a, a prophetic utterance. This is something that every, Paul tells us every one of us should desire it, the gift of prophecy. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses one through five, he says this. He says, let love be your highest goal, but you should also desire the special abilities the spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. For if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you will be talking only to God since people won't be able to understand you. You will be speaking by the power of the spirit, but it will all be mysterious. But one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them and comforts them. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally, but one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. I wish all of you could speak in tongues, but even more, I wish you could all prophesy. For prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues unless someone interprets what you are saying so that the whole church will be strengthened. The gift of prophecy is something that every one of, Paul says, every one of you should desire the gift of prophecy. And I know a lot of people are like, man, I don't want nothing to do with that. I don't, you know, I don't, that stuff is weird. You should all desire the gift of prophecy because Paul says that, that when you operate in the gift of prophecy, that you strengthen others, encourage them and comfort them, right? It's the gift of prophecy. I I've, I've have, have had prophetic words spoken over me of people who were not walking in the office of a prophet, but under the spirit of prophecy have, have given me specific prophetic words that have literally shaped my whole entire ministry. Like I am living right now in, prophet, in, 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 the, in the prophetic words that were spoken over my life. Amen. So the office of prophet, primary function is to equip God's people for the work of ministry. This is done mainly in the revelation gifts, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, right? That um, their gifting is a lot different from, from a pastor, although most prophets are, are great preachers as well, preachers of the word by words of knowledge, words of wisdom, and also the written word of God. They're, a lot of them are, are very gifted in preaching and communicating and in teaching as well. Um, but, but their primary function is, is, is to equip God's people for the work of the ministry, but they're done in the revelation gifts, right? This is where God will come in, in the office, of, uh, come to, to a prophet and literally will, will tell a prophet everything you said in your, in your room with your door closed while you were sitting on your bed, you know? And a prophet will come up to you and say, God said he's seen you on, on, on last night as you were praying for this, this, and that. And it literally just breaks people because God exposes all of us to the prophet and then gives us divine, divine direction through revelation to this person uh, uh, for the will of God for our lives, right? They're responsible for giving divine direction. I <laughs> got ahead of myself. For giving divine direction to the body of Christ and especially to leaders. This is why the Lord has really been on me about praying in the five-fold ministry into this church, knowing that our church will never function in its full, fullest capacity unless we're operating in all, all five-folds of this, right? Right? And so they're responsible for giving divine direction. If you read prophets, they say prophets in the Old Testament and prophets in the New Testament are, are, are different. And they did have some different things, but they were all responsible for giving divine direction to the leaders of the church. You've still seen it all the way from, 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 from the Old Testament into the New Testament. They came to spiritual leaders and gave them divine 
direction, divine direction to the body of Christ and especially to leaders. Here's a couple of things that prophets aren't. Number one, prophets are not fortune tellers. They are not, y'all need to quit going up to every prophet you see and trying to ask them whether or not you should be dating a certain person that you're dating right now. They are not fortune tellers, right? We don't treat prophets like we do fortune tellers, like, like prophetic people can, they will have a word for the Lord. Sometimes you can go to a prophet and ask a prophet over a specific thing in your life, but they're not fortune tellers. They don't just, you can't just go and pay them five bucks and then just, you know, tell your future to you. That's not, that's not how prophecy works, but they operate by the spirit of the Lord revealing to them. This is why you can walk into, um, Pastor Marty's got a great church. If y'all ain't never been to, it's Life Point, right? Life Point Church. First time I walked into his church three years ago, I sat down and it was at the TBN church. I sat down, he did not know me from Adam. And in the middle of his sermon, he kept looking at me. You know how you just like, man, God about to tell him something about me, right? <laughs> he don't even know me. And so I'm, I'm sitting down in the seat and he's preaching and he just keeps looking at me and he's preaching and he keeps looking at me. And finally he stopped. He said, young man, what's, what's your name? And I was like, who, me? <laughs> he's like, yeah, you. And I stood up, I said, I said, David. He said, David, the spirit of the Lord just keeps pulling me in your direction. He said, David, I see you like a flamethrower when you speak to people. And he just started prophecy. He said, there's going to be people from your past that aren't walking in the way of the Lord and God is going to use you to say just few things and he's going to set you on fire and you're going to change their lives forever. And then he says, he said, David, I see you like a, like a rocket ship sitting on the launch pad and God is hitting the, the ignition button and it's just three, two, one, and your life is about to take off like never before. And he said, God said, he's very proud of you. He's proud of you because you have said, I want some definite to who I am. And I'm like, oh my God. Like he is literally like just telling the thoughts that I had in my mind, right? And he started to speak this prophetic message over my life of how I broke down and, and said, God said, I'm switching your path. And you broke down and said, God, I'm ready. I didn't know the full extent of what he meant for that. I was like, what do you mean? I'm on a path for the Lord right now. I'm not, I ain't say I'm ready to switch paths. I think I'm going in the right direction. But four years, no. Five years later, the Lord laid, laid it on my heart to, to plant the church, right? He wanted me to, to launch a church. I didn't get the fullest extent of, of this message, but I wrestled with God for two weeks because I knew that it was something that might actually cost me my, my, my best friendship because I was partnered in ministry with somebody else. And I knew this decision would probably cost me my friendship, but I wrestled with God and I broke down and I said, God, I'm ready. That was my exact words. God, I'm ready. And so I'm, after I got to that place where I'm like, God, I'm, I'm ready, whatever it is, like I knew God was changing my path, right? And I broke down and said, God, I'm ready. I forgot all about this prophetic message. And I'm sitting there one day and I'm just praying and the Lord tells me, go back to the prophetic message that was spoken over you four years ago at that time, four or five years ago. And so I went back in my email and I found this prophetic message that was spoken over me. And immediately when I heard that, God said, I'm, I'm, I'm switching your, your, your course and you broke down and you said, God, I'm ready. And I'm about to launch a church. He says, and I see you like a rocket that's sitting on a launch pad, right? And God is hitting the ignition button, right? And it was this prophetic message that was spoken over my life years before that. And in a time of need, I went back to this prophetic message. You know what it helped me do? It helped me just run and like, just like, I got, God, I know you're in this, you know, and it just, just took off with it and just ran with it. But the, they're not fortune tellers, right? It's not a fortune teller, right? But, but they're there for divine direction to help you accomplish the will of God for your life, to equip you for the work of ministry that God has called you to do specifically. Y'all get that, right?
The third office is the office of evangelist. This word evangelist means one sent forth with good news or a bringer of good news or a carrier of the gospel, right? So one sent forth with good news or a bringer of good news or a carrier of the gospel. A person in the office of evangelist devotes their lives to bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth. This is a person that cannot remain still, cannot sit still. They, they just deep down in the depths of their soul, they know they have to get out and preach the gospel and reach people that nobody else is reaching. They cannot just, uh, in a, you will never catch an evangelist that can stay inside of the four walls of a church. A person who is, who is called to the office of evangelism is the person who says, I got to get out. There's people who do not know Jesus deep down inside the depths of their souls. They know there's people that are lost and broken and they do what it, will do whatever it takes to bring the good news to somebody in need. An evangelist has to have uh, three things. Number one, they have to have the gift of preaching. They have to have the gift of preaching. Uh, Second, they have to have the gift of teaching. They have to have the ability to preach the gospel. Now, everybody's communication in the way of preaching the gospel is different. They don't have to be they don't have to be Stephen Furtick. They don't have to be T.D. Jakes. They don't have to be, this isn't how an evangelist always goes out and preaches the gospel, but literally just being a herald, a bringer of good news to communicate the gospel to people, right? They have to have the gift of teaching. They have to have the ability to teach the word of God in simple and plain ways so that a person can understand. Now, a person may not have that at first. He may be called to the office of evangelist, and this might not be something, like I said, your gifting, you can, you can increase the capacity of, of your gifting, but they have to have the ability to be able to break down and teach the word. And third, they have to have a willingness to move outside of the walls. A person who calls himself an evangelist that does not get outside of the four walls of the church is not an, an evangelist. And let me tell y'all, throwing events is not evangelism. Throwing events to get people into the four walls, that is not evangelism. Evangelism is going out into the highways and byways. It is going out there and getting on the same level as people to to, to bring the good news and to bring the gospel to somebody. Y'all get that, right? We may not be all, we may not all be called to the office of evangelists, but we are all called to evangelize. I don't have to be an evangelist to go out and evangelize. We're all called to bring the good news in some form or fashion to the people that, that we encounter, right? We're all called to tell people about the good news. What is the good news? That Jesus Christ came down here to die for our sins, right? And that we don't have to live the life that we used to live, right? This, just bringing the good news. Um, the fourth office is the, I'm trying to speed this up. Fourth office is the office of a pastor. This word pastor is the same word as, the, as shepherd, right? An overseer of God's flock. The office of the pastor is anointed to be the shepherd of God's sheep in a local church body. They nurture, protect, and instruct Christians in the way they should live, act, believe, act, and live their lives. A pastor is a shepherd. This is a person who has been given, um, who, has, who has, God has entrusted a flock to, right? Pastor is not just a title that somebody throws around just because they can communicate the gospel. This is somebody who cares. They nurture, protect, and instruct a local body of believers in how they should believe, act, and live their lives. Pastors must have a few things. Let me mention them. Number one, a pastor has to have a heart for people. You have to have a heart for people. I'm sorry if y'all don't, if you don't, if you just can't be around people 
and you just don't have a heart for people who are lost and people who are broken and people who are stubborn and people who are hard-headed and, and you just, you're not graced in that area, then you're not called to pastor, right? You got to have a heart for people. How did I know I had a heart? God had given me a pastor's heart because I would go out and I would do these Christian hip-hop concerts and I would get out here and rock these shows and then preach the gospel at the end and do an altar call and people would give their lives to Jesus and I would walk away and my heart would break because I knew that I was still leaving people to their own devices. Even though I had led a person to Jesus, there was something inside of me that said, I got to do more, right? I, I wasn't the person that could like see an evangelist can come out and, and, and preach the gospel and then connect somebody to another local body of Christ. I had the heart to want to get down deep into the depths of the mess with people and walk them through life and help build people up. So I started going from doing these concerts to like I started getting invited to preach at halfway houses and drug court and these doors just started getting opening up for me to mentor people and disciple people one-on-one -on -one. and God was showing me you know the reason you feel like that is because I've given you a pastor's heart a pastor has to have a heart for people second they have to have an anointing to lead they have to have an anointing to lead. A pastor leads the flock. They have to be able to, if nobody's following you, you are not a pastor, right? You can't pastor somebody if there's nobody there to pastor. You have to have an anointing to lead. And yes, you can increase this. This anointing can be increased. Like I said, when you're good stewards with what God has given you, God will increase the anointing in the areas of, of the gifting that, that he has in your life for what he's called you to do. Third, you have to have the ability to preach. You have to be able to communicate the gospel. You cannot shepherd the flock of God, instruct the flock of God if you cannot preach. Um, and again, you will grow in your ability to preach. Uh, fourth is you have to have the ability to teach. You got to be able to break down the word of God in ways that people can understand. Fifth, you have to be a constant student of the word. You have to be a constant student of the word. There's got to be something inside of you. And some of you already have that. There's, there's that hunger and that desire to, to, to go deeper in the word of God. You're always trying to break down and, and read the Bible in its context and, and, and find out what the Greek words and the Hebrew words are. You're a student of the word and, and, and a, you're either a student of the word naturally because God has gifted you to be a teacher or because God has gifted you to be a, a pastor or in some form of fashion. The reason we're hungry for that and we want to learn so much deep down is because there's a gifting in there to teach that. We just, some of us just haven't stepped out in teaching the word yet. Um, what a pastor isn't. A pastor isn't your Lord. A pastor isn't your Lord. A pastor isn't somebody who just gets to lord it over you and just use his authority to abuse you and, and beat you up. That, that is not a pastor. A pastor cares for the sheep. You never see a, a shepherd who's out there with his sheep just beating the sheep for no reason, right? Not, not, a, not a true shepherd, not a good shepherd, right? A, a pastor is not your Lord. Uh, second, a pastor is not your puppet. He doesn't work for you. He works for God. <laughs> He's not your puppet. We got a lot of pastors that are intimidated by the people in the seats because the people in the seats are what is paying the bills. And so they, they got the pressure of the people. And, and so the people are the ones that are, are running the pastors. A pastor is not your puppet. He doesn't work for you. He works for God. I promise y'all I am not scared of anybody trying to pull me around in here. <laughs> Third, a pastor isn't perfect. He isn't perfect. A pastor is flawed just like you. And some of us need to, we need to hear that because you, you look at people on stages and you just think, man, dude, I bet his life, I bet you he's so devoted to God. I bet he just wakes up in the presence of the Lord. 
<laughs> Lauren will tell you how I wake up. It isn't, it isn't pleasant. I need my bang energy drink first thing in the morning. <laughs> right? But a pastor isn't perfect. But we look at them sometimes and think that they're, that they're just these perfect human beings. And then we look at ourselves and wonder, man, how can I get to a place like that? We're not, we're not perfect. We're flawed just like everybody else. We're a work in progress. Amen. The fifth office is the office of teacher. Jeff, I can go ahead and get you to come up here. I'm going to try to smash this real quick. Teacher, the office of teacher. The office of the teacher has a divine ability to cause Christians to understand exactly what the Bible is saying about a certain subject or doctrine. They make the word of God so plain that even the simple-minded can comprehend it. Gifts of the spirit operate through them also. The teacher is a person who can take the word and break the word down in very simple and plain ways. And I said, and like I said, a lot of y'all have the gift of, of teaching and a lot of y'all are called as teachers, but you just don't realize your hunger for the word and your hunger to go deeper in itself is a sign that you may be called to teach the word or maybe you just simply break the word down around and you talk about it in the Bible studies and help other people. This is the gifting of, of teaching that God has has planted inside of you. They have to have a hunger for the word, the gift of communication, a heart for people, right? You can't teach people if you don't have a heart for people, right? But some people you naturally have a heart for people and you naturally have a hunger for the word. And that's a sign that you may be called as a teacher in the fivefold ministry. Um, they have to have the ability to rightly divide the word and simplify the word of God so that even the, the uh, uh, so that anybody could understand it. Jesus operated in all five of these offices, right? He apostle, he was sent forth with authority, prophet, he was sent forth with the word, by the word, and was the word of God. He was an evangelist. He came to bring good news anywhere and everywhere. He was a pastor, called himself the good shepherd. There's not a better shepherd in this world than Jesus who came down here to lay down his life for the sheep, right? Fifth, he was a teacher. He was the greatest teacher to ever exist. Such a good teacher that when he, when he taught the word of God and broke down the word of God, multitudes of people would come down and just sit at Jesus' feet for hours upon hours upon hours because they never in, in their lives heard somebody teach like Jesus. And, and, and Jesus operated in all five folds of this ministry. Let's think about this. If Jesus was all of these offices and he says he gave these offices as gifts to the church of God, then what, is, what does that mean? That means Jesus gave himself to the church, right? So people, when you, when you operate in the gifts of these offices or when you have people who are operating in these offices, this, this is Jesus himself. He divided himself up as a gift and uses you and I. Why? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. And here's my third main point, and I'm going to close with this. God gave us to the world as the active hands and feet of Jesus. What do you say in verse 12? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, and to the building up of the body of Christ. And I want to ask you three questions today. Number one, do you let the world outlove you? Do you let the world outlove you? I heard it at a conference. A woman said, do not, I refuse to let the world outlove me, church. 
It's time for us to, 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 to stop letting the world outlove us. Can we think about that for a second? Does the world outlove us, church? Is, it, is, is that maybe why that people ain't running to the church doors anymore? This isn't a place of refuge and a place of hope to people as it should be. Is it because that when they see Christians or they hear about Christians or, or when they have Christians at their tables on Sundays after church and, and, and they're not tipping and they're not loving and they're not, do we let the world outlove us, church? That's a personal question we gotta ask ourselves. Do we let the world outlove us? Second, do you care more about what people think than you do about what God has called you to do? Because I've been there, I had to get to that place, right? When I told you I had to stop one ministry to run in who God had called me to be and plant a church, the Lord specifically said, do you care more about what he thinks or about how he feels than what, I, than what I've called you to do? You care more about what he thinks than I do. And I said, whoa, you're right, Lord. I do care more about what he thinks and that's not okay, you know? Third, are you okay with mediocre? Are you okay with mediocre check-in once a week Christianity? You might be there. It's like, yeah, I'm kind of okay with mediocre. But we gotta look and ask ourselves, is this what I, is that what I want? Is this what I really want? Or, or do I want to, to, to operate in who God has called me to be? Do I wanna, do I wanna outlove the world? Do I wanna be used by God? Do I wanna make a difference anywhere and everywhere I'm at? When people mention my name, do I want them to mention a person who loves deeply? When people mention my name, do I want them to mention a person who was, who was changed at the cross of Jesus, not to just stop doing the things that destroyed my life, but a person who moved from a, uh, from, from, uh, moved from a person who received the grace and power of God to, uh, from a demonstration of the power of God to a demonstrator of the power of God. The common denominator in all these offices are the word sent. Sent by God. Sent by God. We were talking about moving from called to send. From called to send. They're people who didn't refuse, that refused to let the world rob them in between the call and the send. It's not about us, church. It's about the work of ministry that every single one of us are called to do. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads. Father God, I thank you so much, God, for this day that you've given us. Lord, I thank you for the word that went forth today. God, I ask that every seed that was sown forth into the hearts of every man and every woman here would bear fruit in their lives, Lord. God, I pray that you would help us to see the gifts that you've given to us, Lord, the spiritual leaders that you've placed in our lives. God, the people that you have called to speak into our lives to help equip us for the work of ministry that you have called us to do. And God, there's pastors, evangelists, teachers, prophets, apostles here in this room today that don't even know it. Lord, would you show them why they hunger for what they hunger for, God? God, would you give them the ability to see exactly what it is you have called them to do, God? And God, would you help us as leaders here at in this church to come alongside them, to equip them for the work that you have called them to do, Lord. And Lord, I pray over every single person here tonight, God, that you would give us a strong conviction to place what matters first, Lord. And God, I thank you for the work that you've done in our lives and the work that you will continue to do. We give you all the honor, 
all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you want to learn more about We Are Church, connect with We Are Church, or feel led to sow into We Are Church, we want to provide the means to do so. You can give online at weareministries.com, and you can also reach us on all social media platforms at We Are Church Nashville. God bless you, and have a great week.